Hello, welcome to the Idea to Startup podcast, coming to you live from someone who just spent three full days going through 375 emails. I try to batch emails and respond to them all at once as a productivity hack, but when the batched email calendar alert pops up, no one is better than me at inventing things that are, quote, more important than responding to emails. Just last week, I thought, I can't afford not to watch this documentary on how a Cambodian refugee created the California donut market. Could be lessons in there. By the way, it's called Donut King, and I highly recommend it. Anyway, after writing, I'm so sorry for the late response 375 times over the last 72 hours, I've got some good news. A lot of those emails had questions from podcast listeners. Really good questions. I pulled out a bunch I think I have decent answers to, and I created a nice little mailbag episode. Everyone who submitted one of the questions we answered today will get a buttery soft idea to start up t-shirt. I'll reach out to get your address. I had fun answering these. If you've ever got a startup question you want me to tackle or one you want me to dig in and explore a little bit and tell you what I find, shoot it to team at gettacklebox.com. I'll keep the t-shirt thing going too. Any question that becomes part of an episode will get you the butteriest t-shirt on the block. Today's questions are all over the startup place, ranging from marketing tactics to nootropics. For a bunch of questions, I didn't really have a great answer, so I've enlisted some experts to answer in an episode in the near future. And with that, let's get into the questions. And with that, let's get into the questions and let's get into the jazz. This is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox Method. The Tacklebox Method is a self-paced program that'll give you a clear roadmap for starting your startup idea. The framework is six years old, but the ability to go through it on your own is brand new. And an early customer segment that's used the method exceptionally well are consultants or coaches that are looking to productize and scale their offering. Usually these people have grown by word of mouth to this point, but they're looking to build something a little bit more permanent, something with a clear acquisition strategy and a product that doesn't require their time. If that sounds like you, reach out directly, team at gettacklebox.com, as we're putting something together for people with that specific use case. And if you want to try the Tacklebox method for free, head to gettacklebox.com backslash no whisper ideas and click on the Tacklebox method. The first few sections are up for free, and that site will give you our podcast listeners discount. Back to it. Our first question comes from very far away, Melbourne, Australia. I just realized what the shipping costs on that buttery soft t-shirt are going to be, and I immediately regret the offer, but not enough to go back and edit it out. Oh, well. Here is the question. What's the best high level approach or mindset for someone with a startup idea? You guys spend a ton of time talking about tactics like interviews, which are great, but I need a unifying way to think about my approach. Anything helps. Kind of an odd question, but I think I know what you're getting at. I think about startups in terms of relationships. The first few months of your startup are basically deciding whether you want to get into a serious relationship with this customer or not. Can you make them happy? Do you want to make them happy? Do you want to devote a large portion of your life to this customer? Do you care deeply about helping them with their problems? Do you know them better than anyone else? All of these questions come into play. So if it's like a relationship, we should treat it like one. The best relationship advice I ever got was to be in a rush to show the person you're dating an unfiltered version of yourself, because that's what they're opting into. You won't be happy until you're able to be yourself with them, so you should try to do that as fast as possible. Because if they don't like your warts, or at least if your good qualities don't overshadow those warts, it's probably not going to work and you want to know that fast. If you're on the wrong bus, you got to get off the bus. Easier said than done, but good advice nonetheless for just about every part of your life. Same goes with startups. 
If I were to have an ethos, I think that's what the question is about, I'd say to show your secret sauce to your customer immediately. Show them what makes you you, show them why you exist, and see what they think. The thing that you're banking on anchoring your entire company to, do they care about it? It's easy to mix this up because do they care is sometimes a tough thing to measure and often an easy thing to fake. So let's make up an example. Let's say you're building a travel app and the point of your app is to make it easier to get groups of friends to travel together. Your secret sauce is basically a digital travel agent for a group of people. The problem you're solving is that friends don't travel enough. It's incredibly fun and outside of bachelor parties or the occasional golf trip usually doesn't happen. Your product might work like this. You'll find four couples who like each other and send them each a survey on the types of trips they'd want to take together. They'll all give you access to their calendars, you'll scour their Instagram accounts for past trips, and you'll come up with four options for packages that they can buy. You'll scrape the internet for lodging and flights, and if they buy one of your trips, you'll book the thing. It'd likely start as very unscalable, but you can see how tech would allow you to scale it pretty quick. A trip with four couples would generate all types of marketing opportunities. From the Instagram pictures they took, to the stories they told when they went out with friends for dinner when they got back, to potentially repeat trips. You could even give out referral codes for posts. There are all sorts of ways to amplify these trips that would be your customer acquisition currency. It sounds pretty fun, right? I literally made it up on the spot. Travel startups are frustratingly easy on day one and frustratingly hard on days two to 1,000. So back to the ethos. What's your secret sauce here? What do you need to show customers to see if they care? And how will you know if they do? Here's where people screw stuff up. Because there are a lot of ways to mistakenly think a relationship is going well, particularly in a space like travel that is chock full of vanity metrics, long feedback loops, and looky-loos. I never watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, not because I'm above them, but just because the show seems so impossibly dumb, and on some level I knew I would get hooked. It was never the premise that turned me off. What got me was the execution. The idea that people could actually get to know each other by doing these subsidized, extravagant dates. Everyone's going to have a magical time if they're on a private jet to Belize and then in a five-star hotel for a night with Michelin star food. I always thought they should force them to do like a Tuesday night. Make them both work until 7.30, then have to figure out dinner and a show on Netflix, and then jockey for who needs to take the dog for a walk in the morning when it's raining. I've gotten off track and maybe I'm projecting. But the startup version of The Bachelor for this idea is getting people to follow you on Instagram or subscribe to a newsletter with travel tips for groups, or potentially building a pitch deck to show how you'll automate the back end and scrape the internet and get angels to invest 250k or even attracting co-founders or partnering with hotels or building a script to find cheap flights. All of these things are nice and they feel like you're making progress, but ultimately they're just window dressing. They don't matter. But people spend inordinate amounts of time thinking they're moving towards something real by doing those sorts of tasks. The relationship hinges on one thing and one thing only. Can we get people to give us their credit card and book a freaking couple's trip? That is all that matters. Can we get four couples to hop in an Uber from their apartments, head to the airport, get on a plane, stay wherever we put them, have a good time, and then hopefully book again? Spending your time on anything but that is a waste. You need to be in a race to get to the thing that matters. What I'd suggest for your fake travel app is a deadline. Let's call it three months. Three months to get four couples to take a trip with you, or you break up with this specific iteration of your idea. And when we put it that way, it's pretty clear that we need to simplify. 
finding couples and convincing them to choose to go on a trip in three months cold just probably isn't happening. We need to find the urgent and painful version of the problem and focus on that. So zooming in, what's the most painful part of traveling with a group of four? Maybe finding the date, booking the flight, location options. As you say all of those, they start to seem really hard to execute in such a short time period. What about that urgency piece? Who's got urgency to travel together now? Who's already traveling together? The first one that pops to mind is four couples going cross country to a friend's wedding. They've already RSVP'd yes, maybe they haven't booked their flights yet, but they're all going. Now we've got something manageable. We'll plan your Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, leading up to a wedding weekend in California wine country. Distribution channels start to become clear. We could reach out to wedding planners who work with venues on the West Coast with clients from the East Coast. Maybe we scour Zola for weddings in California and just cold email the bride and groom. A couple getting married might love to offer this to their guests as a perk, especially if we give them a discount code. Now we're onto something. We've got a starting point. Could you find a wedding in Napa Valley and organize a trip for four couples going to that wedding in the next three months? It seems way more manageable. And the most important part is, once you're able to execute on your secret sauce, once you see it in action, that's day one of your startup. That's when everything begins. So the ethos would be rush to that level of transparency. Rush to show the underside of your belly, the vulnerable thing you're nervous about that'll make or break this idea. Getting to that and seeing how it goes is the only thing that matters and it's the only thing you should prioritize. And if anyone builds that startup, let me know. Kind of sounds fun. Okay, next question. That was a bit of a long one. This is way tighter. The question is, hey, Bri, seen any good marketing lately? Simple to the point. This was sent by an alum who is the head of marketing at a startup, so maybe he's fishing for ideas, which is fine. Nick, t-shirt coming your way. Yeah, I've seen some really good marketing lately, and here are my two favorites. First, the rent is too damn high guy. If you aren't from New York City, you might not know this person, but his name is Jimmy McMillan, and he runs for office consistently as the head of the rent is too damn high party. He's run for mayor, senator, and governor. He's never won, but he's done shockingly well. Jimmy McMillan is a sight. He's got a mutton chop into a beard look with a head of flowing white hair. He has giant hoop earrings and often wears a top hat. He simultaneously looks like he's from the 1920s and the future. It'd be easy to confuse him for a joke candidate, and maybe he is, but he gets votes. Jimmy McMillan says one thing constantly, and you can guess what it is. The rent is too damn high. He ends up on stage at all the debates, and he gets airtime. Here's an example. When asked about what he thought about same-sex marriage in 2010, he responded, If you want to marry a shoe, I'll marry you. He then went on to talk about how the rent being too high was straining families by forcing both parents to work, and that that was the real problem with marriage and the family structure, not who people are marrying, but how hard it is to raise a family when all your money goes to rent. He finished by hollering, the rent is too damn high. His North Star is refreshing. It's simple. It's exceedingly memorable. Also, lots of people agree with it. People everywhere would love to pay less for rent, but in New York City, it's crippling. Gentrification pushes rents higher and moves families. It's the single biggest issue for tons of New Yorkers. He has basically no marketing budget. He doesn't run ads. He wasn't famous before he started running and seemingly has little platform other than saying the rent is too damn high. But he got 40,000 votes for mayor the last time he ran. 
For context, Andrew Yang barely got over 100,000 this past election. What's Andrew Yang about? Math, maybe? How does that help me as a New York City resident? I know what Jimmy McMillan's about, and I know if he delivered it, I'd be in better shape. I actually have a post-it on my laptop that says the rent is too damn high to remind me the importance of a singular underlying message. If it's easy to understand who you are and what you're about, it's easier for your customer to take action, whether that action is to tell the right person about what you're doing or remember you when the problem you're solving arises or buy the thing you're selling. What's your version of the rent is too damn high? Ineffective messaging is almost always ineffective because it's cluttered, not because the underlying message is bad or wrong. If Jimmy McMillan's party was called the rent is too damn high party, but he spent time talking about prison reform and taxes, he'd be more well-rounded, but far less memorable. When you're new, one message penetrates, multiple messages dilute. It should be painful as hell to whittle down that initial message, but that's how you know it's working. And in case this wasn't obvious, I don't think Jimmy McMillan should be mayor or governor, but becoming a household name is remarkable. Keep your message simple and meaningful to your customer, and it'll travel. The other great example of marketing has less to do with message and more to do with behavioral economics. I belong to a winery a friend of mine who really knows about wine suggested to me about five years ago. And by belong, I just subscribe to their email list. They email me roughly every quarter selling wine. They've always got limited barrels, new blends, and urgency. The call to action on the button to buy is always, quote, access your allocation. That allocation is usually something like three bottles of Pinot, three bottles of Cab, and then one bottle of their very special blend. I can't get more than my allocation of any of the wines, and they always say that I'll lose my allocation in a week if I don't claim it. I cannot tell you how quickly I buy that special blend. It's embarrassing because I know exactly what they're doing, but loss aversion is real. You cannot tiptoe around it. Loss aversion is the idea that you value something you've got more than double what you value something new. The winery makes it feel like I already own those seven bottles of wine, and by not buying them, I'm giving them to someone else. Or more pointedly, they're taking them from me. So I buy three, four, five bottles of wine every quarter. I rationalize it by saying it was my allocation. And then I rinse and repeat. Behavior economics is extremely powerful. We'll have a lot more on it soon. But I challenge you to think about how you can use loss aversion for your business because it works. How can you get someone to feel like they already own the thing you're selling them and that by not buying it, they would be losing it rather than choosing not to buy? What's your version of the allocation? Next, and by far most hilarious question. And I quote, any thoughts on microdosing LSD or mushrooms daily to help your brain or cognitive abilities? I put this in because I cannot get over the fact that someone asked me this. That at some point during listening to this podcast, this person was like, yeah, this guy probably has the lowdown on psychedelic drugs. Anyway, I'm sure there's probably some benefit. And I know Steve Jobs attributed everything to doing LSD. But I also think he was a natural storyteller with a God complex. And he knew that that was a much better narrative than he's just a normal smart person who worked hard and got lucky just like anyone else who becomes that successful. It took me about a month of research just to buy athletic greens, which is just freeze-dried vegetables. So no, I do not microdose psychedelics daily. But you do still get a free t-shirt for the question. Try not to smoke it. Just kidding. Be safe, my friend. Finally, a few people asked variations of what podcasts or books or shows have been helpful for you. This is the last question for today. 
I answered a bunch more that we'll get to next week, including what to charge, who should bootstrap, how to find a co-founder, and unfortunately, no others on performance-enhancing drugs. As for the books and podcasts and shows, people ask this all the time, and I'm never sure what to say. Because what are people really asking? What books have I enjoyed or which have been helpful? Or are they asking what books will get them closer to whatever goals they have? My general advice on inputs and books or inputs, anything that you read or consume with the hope of giving you better outputs is, I think the best thing to do is just prioritize diversity. And to do that, you need to not be precious. If you read three books a year, you'll really want them to be great. So you'll read stuff similar to what you already know or like because you'll want to make sure you like it. People spend insane amounts of time and money learning what they already know. If you read one book a month, you might take a risk here or there. If you read a book a week, a bad book becomes really cheap to you because you'll just get another one next week. So first, I think of books in terms of expensive or cheap. The less time you read, the more expensive the book, the less likely it'll be unique, the less likely it'll give you a different opinion than anybody else. Second, I don't think specific books are all that helpful unless you have a specific problem you want solved. For general entrepreneurship or startup stuff, the bigger thing I do is try to read 25 pages a day. That'll be two to three books a month, and then you can dive in and read things other people haven't read, or more precisely, combinations of things other people haven't read. For the record, I have a hard time doing 25 pages a day. It sounds easy, but at least for me, it is not. Anyway, if you read a book on gamification and a book on Thomas Edison and a book on Skunk Works in one month, you're going to have a pretty interesting perspective. Add in industry knowledge and you're really getting somewhere. The magic of books and knowledge comes with mass when you have lots of unique inputs and you can form unique opinions from them. Books compound. So my answer is diversity and bulk up, more and different. That's where unique perspective lies. And my non-jackass existential answer is, for books, I like range, the obstacle is the way, contagious, essentialism, extreme ownership, the dip, atomic habits, the power of habit, mindset, made to stick, nobody wants to read your shit, the e-myth, zero to one, creativity, Inc., and hooked. Those are all books that I return to a fair amount. I'll put them in the show notes. As for podcasts, I like How I Built This, The Dave Chang Show, No Stupid Questions, and Indie Hackers. I don't really watch TV shows that are startup-y or helpful, but Ted Lasso is the freaking best. And for psychedelics, I'm just kidding. That's part one of the mailbag. We'll see you back here next week. This is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. Part two of the mailbag is next week. If you've got a startup idea and want to test it out on your own in the margins, we'll show you the path. Get tacklebox.com backslash no whisper ideas. And if you've got a question you'd like us to answer, send it over to team at gettacklebox.com and there might be a buttery soft t-shirt in it for you. Have a great week.